Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. I write for EPL Index and Total Dutch Football, and you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the uh, Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me uh, on Twitter at JimKnight88. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs lately. Uh, Jake, obviously coming off a, a big high, 6-2 win over Norwich. How are you feeling at the moment? Yeah, it was a really good win. Uh, I was actually traveling at the time, so I didn't see it. So that, that would be the sort of thing that would happen. The two games I haven't seen this year was the Northampton game in the Cup and this game. Uh, and I missed the Man City-Tottenham match, so <laughs> yeah, we should probably schedule our absences better. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I've seen, I've seen the game since. I, I found, a, found a full match sort of thing online. And it, it, we played... It wasn't a 6-2 game. I won't go that far, but it was encouraging the way we played. It looked like we were going to attack. It looked... looked at, uh, for the first few games of the season, it looked like McLaren was trying to be sort of like steady at the back and like nick a goal but obviously that wasn't working where uh, our defense isn't great so he's moved to more like two two up top with Mitrovic and Perez and some of their linker play is just incredible I mean that's going to be a partnership which hopefully stays because I mean Perez has been linked away to Tottenham and Manchester United from what I've heard so that's a bit of a worry but yeah those two were excellent I think everyone was excellent on the day um Norwich played quite well as well they could it could have been anything from Eight five to anything downwards, it was ridiculous. But yeah, this, I mean the first first win on the board, first win for McLaren. I think this is a important sort of milestone for both the squad and McLaren because both of them, uh, everyone's been losing in 2015. McLaren did dreadful at Derby, Newcastle. We've been we've been awful. I think it was just getting that win and sort of showing it's a new start. We've got this now to look back on. We've done this and we can move on and hopefully build on this because we've had a tough beginning of the season. I think it's the toughest out of any club in, in the league. So, I mean, where we are at the moment, I mean, we could be higher even with the fixtures we have, but we're there because we had a tricky fixture list. We've got new players, we've got a new manager. We've got a bit of a losing mentality in both. So that's that's where we are right now, but we've got the win. We're moving on to Sunday, the derby. And hope, and hopefully we can build on this now. I mean, we did have, we've had a few major blows uh, recently. With, you know, Tim Krul being ruled out for the season, which I don't think is the biggest problem as some people do, because I don't think he's that good a goalkeeper. He's constantly costing us points, and I think Rob Elliott, although he's probably not as good, he's a solid pair of hands. You got Cole Darlow as well, who's, uh, from what I've heard about him, he's many think he could go on and play for England one day. So that's that's really positive. So do I think, you think it'd be quite nice to get those Valdez rumors. Yeah, I, I saw them, but I can't see Newcastle going for somebody like Valdez. I think uh, 
Yeah, another one I've heard is Ruffier from uh, Saint Etienne. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's more realistic. That's sort of more of a keeper that I could see us going for. I can't see us going for Valdez. But yeah, I, I think Rob Elliott did all right at the weekend, and I think he's he's not he's not terrible. He's like last year we had Jack uh, Jack Anik in for a while, and he was just terrible. So it, we're not we're I don't think the, uh, that's too big a problem. But yeah, looking forward to Sunday and seeing sort of how McLaren deals with the derby. I mean, I think uh, I, I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, but I'm not confident going into that game at all. That's unfortunate. Um, so obviously you, you mentioned Ayosa Perez being kind of looked at by some other players. You've, you've obviously amassed a lot of young talent. Uh, one place where it's not working as well in defense. Do you see Mbemba and Haidara kind of turning that around? Do you think Colacini still good enough to, to do well back there? What's your opinion of Newcastle's defense at the moment? I think the problem with our defenders isn't the defenders. I think it's what we have in front of them. I think we're lacking a central midfielder like anyone. I mean, Teote is not what he was. He's been terrible for over two years now. And I mean, he got subbed at half time of the weekend, which sort of showed that he was there to add sort of defensive cover and he just wasn't doing it. And Nita and Colback, they work hard, but they're not sort of, they're not going to add too much to your defensive side. I think we really do need a player to come in there and, uh, you know, we need someone in January definitely there. But I think in terms of our defenders, Colaccini is very, very inconsistent, but he has his games where he's, you could see the old Colaccini, like at Manchester United when we drew uh, Old Trafford. He was incredible that game. I think Mbemba is just a top draw defender. I don't. He makes a couple of errors, but he's still really young and he does make so many good tackles. And he, I think he's going to be one that will grow as the season goes on. Uh, Yamar is solid, and I think, think Haidara isn't that good, but I think we've got Paul Dummett coming back now, and although he's not sort of the most, you know, he's, he's not somebody who's going to draw the headlines, or he's not someone you're going to go, oh, we've got Paul Dummett, what a player, he's, he's just solid, dependable, and I think he's, now he's back, I think we're going to steadily improve, but I think, yeah, the problem is the lack of support that the defence get from midfield, and it's just too open at times, and that's why we concede so many goals. Steve McLaren really confuses me. Like, sometimes I think he's good, and then for the vast majority of the time, I think he's really, really poor, like, as a coach. And Jake kind of alluded to that. Like, he's come into this job. Like, there's not many managers that would take a side who were kind of in the automatic promotion race um, in the championship halfway through the season. And I think up until kind of March time, they were they were only a couple of points off the automatic promotion places, and they absolutely bombed out and missed the playoffs completely. They had a horrible run. Um, so yeah, I kind of just wanted to see what kind of impression he'd made really at, at St James's Park because that is a huge job for anyone, let alone someone who's come on to, you know, off the back of such a horrible, horrible losing run with Derby, who are one of the biggest budgets and clubs in the Championship, and you know they've got high expectations um, of, of their management as well. So to go from failing that job essentially to to one of the biggest jobs in the Premier League is is quite a jump. Yeah, yeah, and. Um... Yeah, it was a bit of a concern for me when he came in, obviously off the back of, you know, what he's done at Derby and what he's done previously, you know, at Wolfsburg and uh, at Nottingham Forest. He hasn't really done too much recently. It makes you think he would be able to come into this job and do it, uh, do it well. But I think the club saw him as their main target ever since Pardew left. I think we went for him three or four times. So it's obviously he's the man that they think is perfect for the, the hierarchy that we're going for, sort of the head coach 
uh, with little say on transfers and just working with the squad and improving players that we're bringing because we're bringing them in quite young. Um, and obviously, he, he has a reputation as a good coach. I mean, he, Sir Alex Ferguson he, uh, speaks well about him. A lot of people in the game do speak well about McLaren as a coach. It's more of the ma- the managerial side that they think that he lacks, which he doesn't have to deal with as much at Newcastle. So hopefully that should bring out the you know the better side to his management. Um, from what I've seen, comparing him to Pardew, I think he's he's a lot better for the fans because he he, he writes regular emails to the fans, whether he writes them or not. It it. They go out signed by him, so you know, sort of the communication. He went to the fans' forum, which Pardew never did, so he sort of put himself out there for criticism. And I think in the way that training sort of changed from what I've seen, it looks a lot more positive, a lot more um, ball work, more technical stuff, which I think under Pardew is more sort of fitness and, I mean, def- organization. I think McLaren's a bit more freer and the coaching setup we have now, Ian Cathro which I don't know if he's that well-known in the game, but he, he was the assistant uh, head coach at Valencia last year. And he does a lot of the training now, and he has got a huge future in football. He's, I think he's only 28, sort of like a Scottish wow. Mourinho sort of figure. So he's come in. We've got, I think the coaching staff is going to do well for us. I think it's a lot better than what we had with Pardew. I think McLaren, this is a good job for him. I mean, he managed England. He can't, he, anyone who gets the England job, it can't be a bad coach. He's He's got something there. And, in the last few weeks, I mean, the Chelsea game, the first half of the Manchester City game and the Norwich game, you could see we saw, sort of get into a tactic. We're sort of playing to it up top and it's working well. And I think over the next couple of months, we should see, you know, a lot, we'll learn a lot more about McLaren and Newcastle. And if they continue to play like they have been in the last few weeks, I think he could be a very good manager for us. All right. Um, Jim, I know uh, last time you were on, we discussed... Claudio Ranieri's shocking decision to bench Riyad Mahrez and all the uproar it caused in the fantasy community. How are Leicester fans dealing with a lot of the kind of tinkering that we're finally starting to see from him? Yeah, it's not... Um, I don't think it was too unexpected that Mahrez might start on the bench because he'd had a really poor game against Arsenal um, a couple of games before and then he also had just come back from um, international duty with Algeria as well. And what you find is a lot of the African Cup of Nations... Um, representatives who are qualifying in in their various pools tend to play a lot of games as late as kind of Wednesday um so whereas a lot of the international breaks are done in Europe by Tuesday you find you've still got some players who are kind of African um based flying back on kind of as late as Thursday daytime before a game on Saturday which isn't ideal so I think 45 minutes um off the bench for him was fine he's he is that kind of player that can come off and make an impact as you saw um, I think he's definitely pushing for a starting place um, this week because, you know, at the end of the day, he has been our best, our second best player behind Vardy this year. Um, and I think now that he's had a week back in um, in England to get himself settled, um, he should probably warrant a starting place um, for the for the first team against uh, Palace, which is a huge game for us because they're a side that do their best work away. Um, and we've not had a home game in a month almost because... We've um, hosted a few Rugby World Cup games at the Leicester City Stadium because they're not allowed to call it the King Power Stadium for rugby. Um, so you have to call it the Leicester City Stadium, which sounds really weird um, to us uh, around here at the kind of in the local area. So um, the pitch is looking good 
for a start. It's not been churned up too much by the the rugby boys. So hopefully, um, it's gonna it's I think it's gonna be an entertaining game on Saturday. But yeah, I can't promise that Claudio won't be continue tinkering. It's um, it must be an absolute nightmare for fancy football people because really the only names on the team sheet that you can guarantee um, are pretty much Casper Schmeichel, uh, the centre backs, and Jamie Vardy. Everyone else is kind of it's up for grabs. So it's difficult. Yeah, we haven't seen much from Christian Fuchs or Okazaki after the first couple of weeks. Are you thinking those new signings will start to feature more, or are they going to be more reserved for like cup ties? Um, Okazaki has had a few starts, but he's failed to make an impact. Um, he genuinely he's been hauled off a few times after forty-five minutes, which kind of does him a disservice, really, because I think a lot of um, the good work he's done has gone kind of unnoticed this year. He does try really, really hard and he runs himself into the ground. Um, I just think maybe he's struggling to adapt to that kind of Premier League physicality. Um, I know he came from the Bundesliga and he you know, he scored goals at Mines and stuff. And people often compare the Bundesliga to the Premier League in terms of its physicality and its pace. But I think he's, he's struggling a little bit with that. He's not made a huge impact for us. He was very, very good against Sunderland and we kind of had this... Um, this vision of it being Vardy and Okazaki all season because the two of them just looked absolutely superb playing together but then we realised it was probably more the fact that Sunderland were absolutely terrible and that we probably wouldn't play many defences that were that bad over the course of the season if any um, particularly in that first game where we scored five and it could have been 15 it was it was ridiculous um, so he's doing okay and I think Claudio Ranieri is really trying to give him the chances I think I, I'm just I'm willing him to score a goal now to kind of get his confidence up and hopefully that'll get him in an extended run in the team. Um, I don't think it helps that Ranier has not quite worked out who his best kind of strike partner for Vardy is yet. Um, Joe is struggling to shake off injuries so I don't think he's going to play Saturday so it might be Okazaki through kind of not having anyone else. We didn't name a striker on the bench against uh, Southampton um, and that may well be the case again if you know someone like Joe Dodu doesn't get called up and Cramrich seems to be completely off the radar. I've not seen him in a match day squad for a long while since the West Ham game where he completely screwed up a chance when he was clean through on goal. Um, I don't know whether he just doesn't fancy it anymore or whether he's going to leave in January. We'll, we'll wait and see. Um, Fuchs is just broken into the squad, actually. We've moved um, Jeffrey Schlupp further forward. So he's playing left wing or what, or has been starting on the left wing and we've been playing Fuchs at left back after that West Ham game where he really impressed. Um, his, his dead ball delivery is is on another level. It's better than anyone at the club and I think that's one of the key reasons why we wanted to bring him in because we really struggle from set pieces. We've struggled from set pieces for years and years and years because we just don't have the good enough quality deliveries coming in um, and that's something that hopefully he's going to bring. He's also got an absolute cannon of a long throw. So when we've got Ojo up, up front, um, he can put it on Ojo's head, you know, from from anywhere, pretty much in our half with a long throw, which is a really useful weapon because Ojo is fantastic in the air and getting flick-ons for the likes of um, Vardy and and, and Mares and those people that are kind of in and around the box. That's a fantastic weapon as well. So I can really see him cementing the place at fullback. The problem then is whether we move the wingers around and you know you've got Mares, Schlupp and Albright and kind of vying for two places unless you're playing Mares centrally, which is what I would do, but I don't think it's what Ranieri's gonna do too often. I think he still wants to play with two strikers. Alright, and then this is gonna be somewhat controversial. Yesterday on the the fantasy pod we talked a little bit about Vardy's long term ability 
and we had a question of if a team came in like a United, if Rooney got hurt, Chelsea, if Falcao keeps stirring up a fuss and is trying to leave, if somebody came to your door with twenty million for Vardy, would you sell him? No chance. Twenty million, no. Okay. So well, West Bromwich Albion bid fifteen million for him mm. um, six months ago in the January transfer window last year. Um, so, more so obviously the price so has raised almost, almost a year ago now. So yeah. I mean. I'm not saying he's... Well, Claudio Reneo has actually been speaking about this today, so I can almost quote hey. verbatim that he said, yeah, he's done his pre-press conference today, and he, he was obviously asked about this because Vardy... It, Vardy's kind of was flying under the radar in the UK, I think, a little bit until mm. he scored the two goals against... Um, and there are other options there, which makes it a really lazy story, this guy. Yeah, uh, to, I mean... To bring up. <laughs> No, 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 but um, I think he was kind of flying under the radar for a lot of people. Everyone was kind of like, oh, yeah, Jamie Vardy doing really well, bloody blah, blah. Look how quickly he's got to seven goals. He only got to five last year. And then because he's been picked in another England squad, and I think it was the moment where he came on uh, against Estonia and, and kind of selfishly squared the ball to Raheem Sterling, people started to sit up and think, actually, you know, he might have some kind of England future, which at the age of 28, he's 29 in January, for a player who's only played three or four games, to, to be able to say that is is not something you say very often. Um, so there are, there have been kind of comparisons. And he, he if he scores in, I think, what will be his seventh consecutive game on Saturday against Palace, which is every chance he is because they mm. do, um, you know, they do they do concede goals. Um, he, he'll be one of six Premier League players, I think, to do it with like Van Nistelrooy and Shearer and some ridiculously, you know, mm. I think Adebayor was in that list as well. Oh, God. Well, maybe not that bad then. Maybe he won't be too out of company. But um, it, I, I, at this point in time, I genuinely think that he is worth more to us than any amount of money in the bank. Um, not only because of the fact that we don't need to sell financially and we're mm. quite secure as a club now that we've got this ownership, um, which isn't, you know, which has paid off all our debt. And for the first time in kind of 12 years, we're debt free as a club uh, because of the way they've gone about it. But also, you know, I think the the ability to go out and replace him, it it's going to take a lot of money to do that. And there's no guarantee that if you bought in a player from abroad that he would be able to replace those goals. So I just think it's worth us. At least if we sell him in the summer, we'll sell him in the summer. And I think there will be interest. Um, I've written about that this week. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone comes and, and takes a punt on him. But, you know, in looking at it from, you know, it's kind of difficult to different to the Harry Kane situation but if you look at Harry Kane's goal total from last year and the fact that he's a lot younger than um, Vardy granted he's at a bigger club Tottenham are inevitably a bigger club than Leicester but nobody you know it was mooted the Man United thing but nothing really happened from that is anyone going to come in and pay upwards of 25 million for a 29 year old striker mm. so it might, well, might be season? more like the the Berahino thing where yeah. the, the club just value him higher than anyone else would I, th I think that is basically what the the underlying message is from, from Claudio. And that goes for Mares as well. He mm. spoke about Mares today. He spoke about Schlupp today to say, I don't think any of those players are going to leave anytime soon. Um, so hopefully, you know, they're true to their word. If someone comes with a ridiculous offer, then yeah, of course you have to accept it. We're not in a position where we can turn down absolute mega money for players. But well, I look honest, forward to uh, your management team putting out a passive-aggressive... <laughs> messages to their fans when Tottenham try bidding 10 million for him in January. Yeah, um, but he, you know, someone that could be, you know, one of the moves that's mooted. Maybe it's not a, a huge, huge club. 
a top four kind of Champions League club. Maybe it is I someone mean, like a Liverpool, someone like a Tottenham. We've done our can, best to pair Kane with a PC England smaller <laughs> striker. Didn't work with things. Didn't work with Barry. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> All right. Um, well, now I have to talk about Tottenham, which is a shame. Uh, lost 2-1 to an Anderlecht side that is not the Anderlecht side that you're thinking of the last two years, which was quite good. That is not the case this year, so a pretty disappointing result. Tottenham easily could have put the game to bed in the first 10 minutes. Easily could have had three goals, you're done and dusted, just hold it out for the win. Uh, but instead, Eric Lamella kicked the ball into the keeper. Christian Eriksen lost his footing on one, so he ended up with one goal uh, in the first 10 minutes. And seemed to be doing well, held the majority of possession, held double the possession of them, in fact, uh, for most of the match. But after the first 20, 30 minutes or so, it really seemed like we couldn't get anything going. They had nine men back, ten at times. Um, and then we're just breaking on the counter much faster than we could. I think, as much as I love Rose as a fantasy option for the Premier League, and he is a better player than Ben Davis. Yes, Ben Davis is, if you just looked at his tracking defensively is a better uh, person at that. Danny Rose, the more complete player. But I think you see now why we split Walker and Rose in between the two squads, in between the primary 11 and the secondary 11 that usually shows up in cup ties and, and Europa League and such, which is Ben Davis and Kieran Trippier, neither of them mind going forward, but neither have the pace to get back which led to us being very exposed on the counterattack. And this is another one of those matches where we've conceded goals, and yet I don't really blame Toby or Jan for what's happened. A lot of times it's coming from failures on the wing. Kieran Trippier could be blamed for both goals, from getting too far up the pitch and then somebody sending in an easy ball from the left. Um, well, the attacking team's left, our right, hence Kieran Trippier being there. So that was that was fairly disappointing. Um, genuinely looked the worst side. I think they had double the shots that we did as well. Um, double the shots on target. Four more shots total. Double the tackles. They 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 just showed up, and I think a large portion of that uh, is you have three Belgian internationals showing up to play against you. You're probably going to step up your level a little bit. I think uh, Tottenham are probably a little disappointed. To not see Andy Nahar play for Underlicht, a player that we've been linked with often. Dennis Prate needs to go to a bigger league soon. He is for real. Uh, Jim and I were talking a little bit earlier for all of the uh, football manager and FIFA fans out there. I have yet to be impressed by Yuri Tielemans in a match. Don't watch him often. Not, not going to claim to. But I've probably seen him in four or five matches. And he just doesn't catch the eye the way that some people rate him. Um, so that's an interesting thing to kind of look out for. But a pretty disappointing match. I'm still kind of sticking to my opinion of I'm just not going to get that mad about Tottenham results this year. I think this is very much a building year. We have a lot of young players still trying to figure it out. Some people already shouting at Clinton and G, uh, who's 19 years old. When we signed him, everybody said, raw but talented. And then he comes here and he shows a little lack of composure. And everybody freaks out and talks about how crappy he is. Like, okay, maybe you're overreacting just a little bit. He didn't know he was starting until today. Uh, you has only played on the wing for us thus far. Played mostly on the wing last year because there's this Lacazette guy that starts up front for Lyon. So I don't really understand some of the hatred going there. I think the, the main thing that we can take away from this match is that Christian Eriksen is back. 
Um, just when he's gone with injury or there are a couple matches when players don't make the runs they need to to make him most effective, it's easy to forget just how talented Christian Eriksen is, but he, he's just a phenomenal player. And I think the one reason he's going to be with us for a while is I know a lot of people rated him as eventually going to be world-class. And I just don't think he has the fire to get there. Uh, I think he's very comfortable where he is. He has a lot of friends in the side. Uh, he, I know he's very close with a lot of the Belgians. Obviously, he was a teammate with both uh, Toby and Jan at Ajax. And I, I just don't see him pushing for a move anytime soon, which I think is great for us. But I'm starting to doubt whether or not he's ever going to reach that, like, oh, Erickson's inevitably going to move to Barcelona. He's a Barcelona player. I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know if he has that kind of drive. The game does come very easily to him, and he has worked much harder on his work rate over the past two years. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm starting to have doubts about his long-term like upside of being world-class, but he's a, he's a very, very talented young player. And uh, just very glad to have him at the club. But yeah, not going to get too upset. Still sitting not too badly in Europa League. Uh, <laughs> I don't actually have the standings up in front of me. Pretty sure we'd be in second, one point behind Monaco. Um, not not a horrible place to be. So, you know, not, not worried, not going to freak out. But I do have a question for you guys about things like the Europa League and Champions League. Two examples. Yesterday... When Kevin De Bruyne scored for City, I was uh, having a drink at a bar and got really excited and then had no idea why I was excited. I do have a friend that's a City fan, but other than that, have no connection to the club. Uh, other side of this, when I was back in New York, a uh, place called Via Della Pace, go to it if you're ever in New York City, 2nd and 7th, really good Italian food, really great guys. <laughs> um, that's a free plug, by the way. So... <laughs> And they always tend to root for Italian teams in European competitions, except for the ones they hate. Like, there's some Lazio guys there, obviously not cheering for Roma. I don't think it has much to do with coefficient, but my question to you guys is, when you're seeing these other English sides in other competitions, do you find yourself rooting for them, or do you stay kind of neutral, or do you find yourself rooting against them even, kind of in a bitter, we want to be where you are kind of way? I'd say I was pretty neutral. <laughs> like... It's, when it gets to the final stages, I guess I'm more interested in supporting the English clubs. But in the group stages, I sort of just watch sort of just for just for pleasure. Just just watch to be entertained. I don't, don't really get too involved in wanting Manchester United to win or uh, Manchester City to beat Sevilla, Sevilla or anything. That's not really not really that interested in that. But I mean, when you say don't. Uh, not to mention the coefficient, but I mean, this year that's quite important for English clubs. Yeah, but so, Italy aren't doing great either, though. I know everybody in England is freaking out, but Juventus haven't done incredibly well. Roma got a, I don't know, is that a disappointing 4-4 draw, considering they were down 2-0 at one point, but also up 4-2 at one point? That was a crazy match. But, yeah, the I know a lot of people in England are freaking out. But Italy isn't doing tremendously well either. So No, but... Still, I mean, it's still a problem. <laughs> I mean, it will still be a problem for like next year as well if they both do poorly this year, or you know, if if England, if uh, like three of the four teams get to the get to the knockout stage in the Champions League, and maybe like one gets to a semi, then another gets to a quarter, then you know, we're 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 back on sort of back on track to sort of secure our place 
the QR coefficient. Um, I mean, I'm more. I'm normally more interested in the Europa League. I just want to see an English club that doesn't come out of the Champions League go far in the Europa League. So, so one that started in the Europa League, I want them to build up and get to the final. I'd, I'd love to see that, but that never happens. Like, I'd love to see Tottenham get all the way to the final this year. Mm. Hey, thanks. But, <laughs> yeah, I know, or, or Liverpool. I, <laughs> no, I, I, no, no, no. Stick with not, the Tottenham. I'm not I think those are much better. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I just, I, I think that competition should be taken more seriously. I, I, I've always been a massive fan of the Europa League. I don't know why everyone hates it. <laughs> well, I mean, you were in it for a minute, and you saw exactly what it does to your Premier League form. Now, if if you want to have that whole debate, which we are not about to do right now, <laughs> and, I'm very um, sure I've had it before on this podcast. I'm sure you have. It's <laughs> but, like five times a year uh, on yeah. what's more important, Premier League or Europa League. I, yeah, I, I think Europa League is very interesting. I think for clubs like Tottenham and Liverpool, that's the best chance to top four. Obviously, this year there's a little bit of a crack in the door with uh, Chelsea's early struggles. I doubt that continues much longer, to be honest. But, um, yeah, like that's why Tottenham fielded a much weaker side in the Capital One Cup against Arsenal, and everybody freaked out. Rawr, why aren't we taking this seriously? You don't get a Champions League spot from winning the Capital One Cup. <laughs> that's, that's why. Uh, so, yeah, obviously... A big fan of uh, winning the Europa League, being in it, not as exciting. Uh, looking at the table now, uh, it hasn't updated yet, but it looks like Monaco should be on five points. Tottenham and Anderlecht both on three, with Tottenham in third place, actually, with one less uh, on goal difference because Anderlecht won today. So maybe not sitting as pretty as I thought. Uh, I am interested in what you said, Jake, about being able to remain neutral. The answer entirely could be that I'm just a crazy person. But I have a very hard time remaining neutral through a whole match. There are either players that I'm interested in, uh, players that I've already liked, players that I'd like to see at Tottenham, regardless of how I feel about them. And I just get like really excited. City's not a case for that. I don't know. Kevin De Bruyne is just really good. And it's really fun watching really good teams play, but I, I tend to always find myself cheering for somebody. Is that the case with you, Jim, at all, or, or are we just ending with the consensus of Oma Nacho? No, um, I'm a little bit of a different case because my, as a big sports better, my kind of motivations tend to be financially um, mm. motivated rather than anything else. But I do tend to kind of support English teams, I think, but you you do find people that I don't know. I don't think it's always if you're cheering for their direct like rival. Like I can understand a Man City fan being annoyed if you're supporting Manchester United and you weren't a Manchester United fan. You, you had no affiliation with either team, kind of thing. But you do get, I think, a kind of distinct group of people who just have a, a complete apathy about English teams in Europe if it's not their team. Um, but you also get on the other side of it people who, are, and I would class myself in this bracket of someone who probably wants to see our teams go far, not for the coefficient. You know, Leicester aren't going to get into the Champions League anytime soon. Um, it doesn't bother fifth, me too man. much. You, uh, you know, you can dream. As I said, we still can't defend, so it's not going to last forever. But um, yeah, I do kind of like watching English teams in Europe, um, if only to see how we kind of stack up against other leagues. Um, you know, we're constantly being told in this country that the Premier League is the best league in the world. And actually, that is a complete fallacy if you look at the last few years of mm. kind of European results. And well, it the depends what your argument is. Where the best teams are or where the best teams are. Yeah. And, and in terms of like the biggest maybe worldwide appeal, our TV rights go, you know, dwarf anything else in terms of like um, national leagues. But in terms of the play, uh, the players and the quality of the teams, which I think is always kind of intimated by that best league in the world comment it's not always the the case it was kind of maybe 
seven or eight years ago when you had Chelsea and Manchester United playing out that Champions League final, um, you know, and that and that kind of time. But since then, you know, you've had teams like Barcelona have emerged, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Juventus last year, you know, were, were relatively big outsiders and got to the final. So um, in terms of that, yeah, I do like watching English teams in Europe, but then it's maybe it maybe would change my mind if Leicester had a chance of getting in there. Um, I wouldn't be so keen then, but um, yeah, for now, I just kind of, it's good to have a spectacle. I get so bored in the week when there's like no football on. So having a Champions League is kind of a privilege really for me. I kind of, I appreciate it so much more than I used to in terms of having kind of quality entertainment to pick from each, each night. Yeah, I tend to write my articles during the Champions League matches. It seems like an easy time to, to do that. Uh, I already kind of butted in on, on Jake's time. Um, but yeah, I, I get really wrapped up in it uh, for some inexplicable reasons. But mate, I just like sports, guys. <laughs> is, is that crazy? Is that a weird thing to say to this demographic of people that are tuning in no, to listen to us talk about soccer midweek? <laughs> the thing is, you kind of, I think you feel, even if you don't support the team, I think you feel a certain attachment to English teams because you watch them all the time. So, for mm. example, like I watch teams like Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal and Chelsea all the time. So I think because the, I know them and I know them better than, you know, when Chelsea go away to Dynamo Kiev or when Manchester United are playing CSK Moscow like they were last night as we record. Mm. I don't know as much. It's good to see the other side and kind of see, all right, we haven't seen CSKA for a while. They tend to get drawn against an English team pretty much every year in the Champions League and you kind of go and the same cliches are all trotted out that it's always going to be really cold and sometimes it's played in an artificial pitch and all this, that and the other about travelling times. But it's, I think you feel a certain affinity with the teams that you're more familiar with, which I think is part of the reason why people enjoy watching English teams in mm. European competition so much, even though they've got no link to them whatsoever. Yeah. And then turning our eyes to, to the domestic league, um, we have a couple things happening this weekend. Manchester Derby, the Tyneware Derby. Uh, does that impact you at all when it's English teams versus English teams domestically? Or are, are you able to just kind of sit back and enjoy the show? I think most people have their favorite sort of the rival they have the one they sort of lean towards they might not openly support them but you have the one that when the match is on you sort of you sort of edge more towards them and you you, you like you get slightly happier if they win or score it's normally the underdog of the derby i mean like liverpool Ever- everton i can't imagine as many sort of neutral fans that don't want Everton to win that game or wouldn't <laughs> rather see Everton winning that and game. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with Liverpool fans' presence no. online. <laughs> well, that's another... But I mean, yeah, I I normally do lean towards one. I mean, the Manchester one's really interesting because it used to always be such a team and now I, I find myself wanting Man United to win that game. And I don't understand why that is. But it's, Is it because the City have emerged from nothing and kind of bought their way to the top? Do you kind of feel more opposed to that than you do to the Manchester United kind of dominance and arrogance that comes with it. <laughs> I, I, I'm not too opposed to money because, I mean, I'd take it at Newcastle right now. I, just, I, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's just because maybe Manchester United have fallen a bit and you thought, like, where I'm so used to being at the top, I'm like, oh, I kind of want them to be like in, in the top two and three again. It's sort of rather than City. I'd much rather see Man United win the league than Manchester City, but I, mm. I, don't, I don't know why that is. But yeah, I, th- I think most people in the derby games, you watch them for entertainment, but you normally have the one you sort of prefer. Yeah, do you do kind of lean the same way there, Jim? 
Yeah, I I think Jake's got a point in terms of wanting the team to win that's going to cause the most havoc online. Like I really <laughs> do buy into that. Thing. Honestly, like I I was willing Everton to win the derby so much a couple of weeks ago because it just would have been so funny to watch Liverpool fans go into meltdown. As it happened, they sacked the manager anyway, so a draw was good enough for that to ensue. But yeah. in the same way, you know, it, it's kind of when you get a team like um, I think that's you know that's more for the the, the clubs that we all know are overrepresented online shall we say and therefore don't necessarily garner the best reputation um it's a little different i think with um newcastle sunderland for example you know neither of those clubs have that kind of reputation so i think it's more um maybe it's a, a particular player that you like or a manager or you know whoever plays the better football i think that plays a, a big part in it as well so if you put a, a team against stoke in, in any, pretty much any game. I know they're kind of played slightly different football now under Mark Hughes, but there was a time when, you know, it would always be everyone dislikes Stoke. And you get these kind of teams that either through their management or through their style of play build this public persona of people kind of disliking us uh, or them and just kind of genuinely not wanting them um, to win. I think it kind of works the opposite way with teams that play good football. So I think, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong about this, but I think a lot of people like, watching Leicester because we're just chaos um, from start to finish. So I think that garners a certain amount of support in itself as well. So people will watch kind of games that they wouldn't normally have an interest in because Leicester are playing and it could easily be Man United 3, Leicester 5, or we could be 2-0 down after 65 minutes like we were against Aston Villa. How many comebacks is that for you this year? Is it a five? Lot. Well, I think, I think we've got eight points from losing positions this year, That's which is more than any silly. other club. <laughs> um, which, when you consider there's only nine games gone, that's mental. Um, but yeah, so I think I think that plays a part in it. There are so you know a lot of people as well. When I was at university and stuff, you kind of gravitate to the teams that your friends support as well. Sometimes, like yeah. not that, supporting them, but kind of with the city watching thing. them. Yeah, like you know, I had a, a really close mate at uni who was a United fan, and I found myself. I, I went through this really kind of weird swing where everyone was a Manchester United fan who wasn't a Leicester fan in our local area because United, you know, when I was growing up, they were winning the treble in 99 uh, when I was kind of 11. So as you're first getting into football and kind of finding out your loyalties, the kids who aren't supporting Leicester, the vast majority have got Manchester United shirts on because they're the kind of team that are doing the best. So I went through this real kind of hatred of Manchester United to kind of softening towards them a lot over that four years at university because of the fact that it would just make my life a lot easier if they won quite a lot of games and then my mate wouldn't have to be like down <laughs> in the dumps all the time. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so but I think you know that plays a part in it um, and now I'm back to hoping they pretty much lose every game so you know <laughs> it's, it swings and roundabouts yeah. Um, yeah I think those are all excellent points I kind of like your betting thing with Europe I, I find myself and I'm, I keep trying to separate the two but I, it's really hard to separate fantasy and real Premier League when I'm covering fantasy football the first three days of the week then I do this, and then I do it the next two days as well. Uh, but I, I find myself leaning heavy towards like the guys I've picked in fantasy. And so I get really excited. Like, Wynjeldum was a guy that I was big on. Because uh, he, had, he had shown glimpses in the two previous matches. Not that he'd score four goals. But that was kind of coming. I love all my Dutch guys, which makes it easy to like most teams. Because I, I think it's the second or third highest nationality right now in the Premier League. I think I saw that somewhere. Um... So yeah, I, I find myself leaning towards those two things in particular. Like Van Dyke at Southampton has obviously been doing very well. Um, to to possibly Jake's chagrin, 
Uh, Jermaine Lenz has, has looked very good in his <laughs> as as one of the two good players at Sunderland with uh, Jan and Villa. But yeah, I, I think that a lot of it is players you just happen to like for one reason or another. I have a friend that is from the very kind of American school of caring about football, which is via FIFA. Uh, so like he'll sign players in FIFA and then start liking them in real life. I think that's a very interesting uh, way into it, but I kind of get it. Like you, you kind of nail your guys, and you're like, "This guy's gonna be really good." Uh, there was a player. Oh, what was his name? Uh, Pierre Michel Lasaga at Hamburg. I I cared about Hamburg for like a year and a half when they got a uh, Holtby and Vondervart, and I watched a couple of their games, and I thought Lasaga was gonna be really good, and he was just dreadful last year. Um, but yeah, I think I find myself rooting. Mainly when I'm watching other teams for like individual players. Like for City, I think that Yaya Toure is a very frustrating player. The The fact that he is not a top five player in the league, I think has nothing to do with anything but him. The The talent is there. The physicality is there. And I, I don't know. I feel like he kind of slacks a lot. So even though I'll watch City and be going for them, I kind of want to validate that perspective as well I think David Silva is one of the best players that we've seen in the Premier League in recent times and he gets very little credit for it um absolutely makes that Manchester City team tick but anyway I'm just kind of rambling about random players now uh but yeah I I tend to find myself rooting for individual players more than whole teams in derbies I do think there is credit to the underdog theory uh, I know uh, especially in America we we love a good underdog and I'm sure it's no different anywhere else so yeah, I, so who are we rooting for uh, Newcastle Sunderland, Jake? Who's who's the underdog there? Well, if, if <laughs> we're both pretty bad, but I mean they've won the last five, so I guess that makes us the underdog, especially as it's at the, at the Stadium of Light as well. So yeah, I'd say probably. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, and now we will head on to Player Watch, where after I just discussed trying to not merge fantasy into this podcast, we're going to talk about the best fantasy options for our clubs in our upcoming fixtures. Jake, we'll start with you in Newcastle. It's obviously hard to not go Genie Wijnaldum. Do you think there's any merit in picking up somebody like Daryl Yanmat against the Sunderland attack that's obviously been struggling? Um, yeah, Yanmat's a solid option. He often gets sort of assists and goals as well, so... There's always that side, but I, I'll, I'll go for a Jose Perez. I mean, I think he's got a lot of points in him, like for fantasy. He plays alongside Mitrovic, so there's obviously going to be link up. He drops a bit deeper, so he's got the assist side, and he's a good finisher, as we saw last week. Um, I just think he's an excellent player. He rarely has a bad game. And against Sunderland, he's going to get chances on the ball, so yeah, I'd get him in. For, for both goals and assists, because he's sort of the sort of like a false ten, if if that's a position I've just made up. But he's sort of a he's playing as a striker, but he drops back into the ten quite often with Wijnaldum and Sissoko either side. So I think you know he's often at the heart of the play. So yeah, I'd, I'd say he's a solid choice for fantasy. I don't think he's too expensive either. If I have my uh, 
if I've researched correctly, I think he's available for between like six, seven in most most games. So yeah, it's solid option. All right, yeah, Jim. People probably already have two Leicester players in Mares and Vardy, but who else is worth giving a look? It's difficult actually because you, like I say, you never really know who uh, Ranieri is going to pick. Um, I would normally say Schlupp in this instance, but I don't know if he's going to start now because of the earlier kind of wing dilemma that we discussed. Um, maybe on that note, if you did want to get a relatively cheap defender, go for Christian Fuchs because he is going to get a few assists this season. Um, I'm not sure Palace necessarily the team to put him against because he uh, um, they defend pretty well from set pieces. They're quite well organised and um, they've got Breda Hangeland and, and Scott Dan who are quite, you know, they're pretty much colossus in the air. Um, so it's, it's very difficult to see the likes of Vardy and Okasaki if we start with him. Joe is out, I think, so we're not going to have that big aerial presence. But in terms of like whipping a, a low ball in um, to the back post or whatever and hoping that a player gets to touch in it, I'd say Fuchs is probably um, the best value play in terms of someone who has done very little wrong at fullback since he came in and also has that added bonus of the um, the set pieces as well. Um, obviously, the, the standard warning should come with picking a Leicester defender in that if you're expecting a clean sheet, you're probably looking in the wrong place, um, especially against a Palace side that do really well away from home. But in terms of someone who offers you little more than just the standard defender clean sheet option, then... Yeah, Christian Fuchs is probably up there with the, the better plays from the last team this week. All right, uh, yeah, Jake, uh, Perez is right now listed at 5.1 in the official game, which I think Whoa. is obviously... Bargain. Uh, yeah, that's really good. And, and Jim Schultz, uh, not a pretty cheap one as well, with Christian Fuchs being at 4.7. So both of those are pretty cheap options uh, for Tottenham. And it was different when I wrote this up, which was before... Uh, the Europa League match, and now it has to be Danny Rose, who, assuming that he continues to start in the Premier League, which he will this week at least, because Ben Davis got the start today, if Rose plays every match, he is a top 15 defender. He can get you goals, he can get you assists. Tottenham have a very strong defense this season, will get plenty of clean sheets. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the clean sheet gamble myself, but um, I'm not sure it's that much of a gamble with Hugo Lloris and goal, so... I think that's one to definitely look out for, especially this week against Bournemouth. I know they scored two against City, but uh, I wouldn't be counting on that too much. Uh, I do think Glenn Murray is a bit underrated in both fantasy and real life, but I think uh, his greatest asset is kind of his ability to hold up the ball and then turn quickly and shoot, which I'm not really sure is going to benefit him much. I don't think his pace is going to scare Vertonghen or all the world up the middle. So I, I'm thinking Danny Rose for this week and for the rest of the season, assuming that he holds on to that spot at just 5.2. All right, and now we will quickly go through our upcoming fixtures uh, for this weekend. We're going to start off with Jim talking about Crystal Palace's travels to Leicester. Yeah, so it's going to be quite an interesting match, actually, because Palace have been very, very solid, and they're one of the players, uh, one of the teams that are really overperforming, I think, as well as us. Um, so it's an interesting matchup because we, with but both teams score a lot of goals. Um, I was talking about this to Jay on the Eagles beat this week, and he um, asked me what I thought of the game, and I said two-two because I can't see either team keeping a clean sheet the way that they're both playing and and defending. So it's going to be interesting to see how we go about it because we haven't played at home for so long as well. 
um, there's a certain element of mystery in terms of how we're going to go about it because it's been so long since we had a home league game that Ranieri could have completely changed his mind on how he wants to go about it. Um, I can't see that being the case necessarily, but I think we're going to kind of look to go on the front foot and attack, um, which is what normally costs us two goal head starts. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed we can we can shut them out and uh, and keep them quiet. I think if we can stop the supply at source with the kind of keeping Johan Kabay um, quiet in the central midfield, um, he's their engine room. So if we can kind of keep the him quiet, hopefully maybe put Ungolo Kante on him, um, who's another good shout for fantasy actually, Ungolo Kante, because he's he doesn't necessarily do a lot of um, the kind of flair player type things but he's quite good uh, he's very accurate with his passing he's laid on a couple of assists this year and he's also um, really good at tackling back so if there's anyone who's going to start that pressing forward and, and maybe kind of spare us onto a clean sheet fingers crossed it, it might be him because he runs that centre of the park um, it's going to be really interesting to see how we match up because they've got pacey players we've got pacey players it's going to be kind of an all out slugfest I think I don't think there's going to be anything too tactical about it I think it's just going to be kind of swinging from for the fence from the word go to use an American term. Mm. Um, so yeah, it could be it could be four all. It could be it's going to be probably the game of the three o'clock kickoffs for the neutral for sure on the Saturday um, because it, anything could happen really. It's it's so difficult to kind of narrow down because we just can't defend and therefore it kind of means that we have to go all guns blazing that the mm. entire time. I think you're being a little harsh on yourself with. Crystal Palace without a striker. Um, Connor Wickham looks like he'll still be out while Gale suspended. Apparently, uh, there's some issues being kicked up over there with Bamford. I mean, they've played Balassi through the middle sometimes as well this year mm. already. Who and I mean, he worries me because he's he's an absolute. He's a war. <laughs> Fortunately, he worries them too. So. Yeah, I mean, he's. Yeah, don't get me wrong. He blows hot and cold, but he's 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 a massive unit, and he he's quick and he's tricky, and that is gonna. We we conceded twice to Sunderland this year. Now, okay, <laughs> that's, that, that's on fair. the first day of the season. Yeah. Granted, we scored five in return, mm. but we are very capable of looking up. Was, making was that the lens goal and assist good. game, or did he just have the assist? Oh, Defoe scored yes. as well. I think Defoe yeah. scored. Yeah, mm. so we. My confidence in us scoring goals is about level with my confidence of us making the opposition seem a lot more adept <laughs> at attacking than they already are. Um, plus, Palace have seemingly a, a myriad of wingers who they can just kind of convert into strikers and stick them up on mm. top anyway. I'm sure Zaha could play up yeah, front if you want to. Another one. Uh, yeah, Sako, exactly. Especially because we wanted to sign him in the summer and then I think he asked for too much money. So he's bound to kind of pop up and probably get a goal against us on Saturday. Get his goal bonus. All right, uh, Jake, I know we discussed it a little bit earlier, uh, but what do you make of Newcastle's travels to Sunderland? Yeah, so obviously the last five derbies have been Sunderland victories. Um, Newcastle only scored once in those five matches as well. So yeah. Getting back to 2012, is that right? Yeah, th that Ooh. was the last win. Was a uh, Ryan Taylor free kick at at, at hey, That's a name. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Ryan Taylor in ages. <laughs> I mean, we used to win this game all the time. Like there was a five-one, and then there was a uh, yeah that one-nil, and we used to we used to dominate this derby. But Sunderland of I d I don't know what it is. I mean, the last five derbies, I think Pardew 
and Carver both sort of went in for the passion and Newcastle are a bit sort of too passionate, too keen too keen to get get involved and Sunderland played with high intensity and sort of were playing playing the game rather than the occasion. I think that's what our problem has been. Um I mean Sunderland are not a good team at all. I don't know how they keep beating us. It's it's, it's you can't say it's any more than luck because it, they're they're really not a good team. Um they it's I mean they would probably be down <laughs> if we would if we'd done better in derby matches in the last couple of seasons, they would yeah, be a Premier Yeah, they've been stayed enough, up so. by gaps from two to five points. Yeah, exactly. So, hey man, we did our best. Whatever year that was, two years ago, when uh, we beat them like five one with five matches left, and then they beat or drew. I don't remember which the order was, but they played City, United, and Chelsea as three of their last five. Yeah, and beat two of them and drew one. I think they drew City because yeah. whoever their keeper was back then was awful, and there was that. Uh, Victor Manone, and he had the save that dribbled in anyway. I think that was the city draw, and I think they beat United at Old Trafford because that was the year everybody did that. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't that the wasn't that the, like the six games when everyone thought Conor Wickham was incredible? And yeah, like Dino. That's when that, that <laughs> came about on this very <laughs> was, podcast. Yeah. But yeah, um, I don't think anyone has won this fixture six times in a row for like over 100 years so that would be an incredible record-breaking sort of thing if someone did it um an interesting fact that uh newcastle haven't gone in have only gone into a derby off the back of a win once out of the last five so i mean that's quite a that suggests that maybe newcastle might approach this differently where they've just come off the back of that win they're full of confidence and we've got obviously a new coaching setup who will deal with the match differently because we're used to having Pardew and he was a bit, you know, you know what Pardew's like, passionate. He goes in for it, just make the occasion all about him and that stuff. That'll be, I think we'll be do a lot better with uh, McLaren sort of um, setup. He's he, he's already spoken quite well about it today. He's talking about how he's going to play the game, not the occasion. Obviously, um, he said we were underdogs, which is you know, which I I've done that, but I mean. It, sort of releasing the pressure a little bit on him and the the club which ne- needs to be done before a derby because you put too much pressure on yourself someone's going to get a red card like instantly so but I, I really don't know it's like in these games anything can happen I know it's a cliche but anything can happen but football like anything else the law of averages do come into play eventually you're like if you went to Play Man United a hundred times, you're not going to lose to them every single time. And it's like with something they they've won the last five. They can't keep winning. It's <laughs> the the law of averages states that they just can't keep winning. I'm just bringing physics into this, and they're not going to win. So oh, I don't know. I'm fair. We've got we've got much of it. We've got a better side. We've yeah. We we were going to talk about this a little bit beforehand yeah. and said save it for the podcast. A way yeah. I really like to look at fixtures is how many players on each side would get into the other team. And I think Mvia and Lenz are the only two that would that would crack into your starting eleven. Yeah, well, maybe maybe Pantilimon now. <laughs> don't cruel, but... Dude, don't 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 go there. He has been so awful <laughs> this year. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, if if we weren't rivals, we would beat Sunderland so so much. Like we would beat them easily. It's just the fact that we're rivals and it's sort of that big occasion. Mm. I I really don't know. I think it. I'm gonna... It's like with us, like when we used to play Fulham, and we didn't really care about Fulham, but Fulham kind of cared about us, and they just show up and always get draws and stuff. It was so frustrating. Yeah, I think we 
in the northeast is definitely a huge rivalry. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah I wasn't trying to. I, I know, I know, I know, but it's yeah, I I know what you mean, but I I mean Sunderland. I mean Sunderland. Last you had Sunderland fans last year saying, "Oh, getting tattoos." I don't care if we go down <laughs> as long as we finish above Newcastle. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd much rather stay in 17 for something with 16. I mean, that, that wouldn't bother me at all. So <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be confident. I reckon we're gonna win this one. Um, I've won two one. I, I I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet, but I think mm. we'll I think we'll win it. But I mean, another another thing to consider, which is just this is another ridiculous fact. Um, Paulo Di Canio, Gus Poye, uh, Dick Advocat, and now Sam Aldice. Their second game in charge has been against Newcastle. They've all lost their first game and they've all beaten Newcastle so far. So if, <laughs> if Sam Aldice does that, that's just it's almost like they wait and they go, When we got Newcastle, oh two weeks. Alright, we'll now. give him right. give him to a game before <laughs> then and then we'll get him in. <laughs> yes. Like I mean that's a ridiculous fact. So I yeah, yeah I think I think we'll win, but it, it's not gonna be a it's not gonna be a good game at all, I don't think. It's gonna be really scrappy. <laughs> don't tune into this one, guys. No, <laughs> well, I mean, Sunday you've got you've got this game, and then you've got oh, that Manchester. is the early one. There's no other match, so everybody's watching it. Going on, but yeah, yeah, I think we'll win. But it's if we don't win six in a row, that's just dreadful. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, lastly, we have Tottenham, who are visiting Bournemouth. It's really hard to not be confident right now. Like really hard. Uh, we always kind of come off Europa League matches a little deflated, but more so when we win, which we did not do. I uh, can't emphasize enough how much we didn't win today. But um, I kind of have a feeling like maybe this is the week Kane snaps the streak. I've mentioned before on the show that I think Harry Kane knows that his goal against City was offside. And so despite scoring there, despite his goal for England that may have been an own goal or not, I think he's still on zero goals in his head. And I think that's why we're seeing so much kind of panic with the ball when he gets it. He's trying to force things to get into shooting positions, but then uh, mention, I think, on the Monday show, uh, that when he takes his chances, he's not as daring with the actual shots anymore. His bread and butter is hitting the bottom corners. It's what he does all the time. And he's not daring to put them into the corner anymore. It's just a couple feet in, which makes it, you know, within the range of the goalkeeper. Um, but Bournemouth obviously struggling Arthur Boric now hurt. They were already without Elphick, already out without Gradell, already without Tyrone Mings, already without Callum Wilson. I mean, I, I just feel bad for Bournemouth. <laughs> I genuinely do. Obviously got picked apart by Manchester City last week, and Tottenham picked apart Manchester City. So technically, we're supposed to win 11-2. to um, <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. But um, I am cautiously optimistic that this could be uh, kind of a signature win, especially if Kane gets on the score sheet. Uh, people keep saying Sun's close to returning. They've been saying that for three weeks. Nobody's ever stated anything other than the original plantar fascia issue that, that was mentioned. That is not a short-term injury. I don't know why people keep saying he's close, but if he is close, that'd be great. Uh, those two facts just don't line up, though. Uh, but yeah, this week I think we should be okay. Like I said, saved Rose for this one. So Kyle Walker, Danny Rose on the wings. Hugo obviously in net. Jan and Toby center backs. Probably Dyer and Della Ali in midfield with Lamela or Townsend. God, that's just a sad thing to have to say. On the right, uh, Erickson probably in G. Possibly the other one of Townsend. If we start Lamela and Townsend, I might just turn the match off. I mean, I won't, but 
I'll be upset. <laughs> then Kane up top. I'm, I'm pretty confident in this one. They might get one. I don't think they will. I think with Dyer back to protect the, the back four, I think we should be able to, to at least have a good shot at a clean sheet. I'm going to go cautiously 3-1 Tottenham. And with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or would like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, you can get my stuff on EPL Index or uh, Total Dutch Football, which uh, I have been inactive on recently, but I will be getting something up on there soon. So check that out. It's a really good website for the Eredivisie and Dutch football in general. And you can, if there's anything else, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, I've been Jim. You can find a lot of my kind of day job stuff on Goal.com. I'm the chief betting editor there. So in terms of like match match previews and stuff and analysis of the markets over there, um, I've done a Q&A with Jay from the Eagles Beak this week as well. So if you want kind of more preview build up stuff to that specific game, you can go over and, and read that. Um, and then, yeah, anything else uh, at Jim 88 on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find my writings over on blog.playtaga.com or theeaglesbeak.com, both, uh, both of which are in a fantasy vein. Uh, so if you're interested in fantasy, check that out. I also host the FPL Roundtable on this channel, uh, which you can find Thursday mornings this week. We discussed uh, how Kevin De Bruyne is a big ginger teddy bear. So that's uh, definitely worth a listen. We also talk some fantasy and stuff on there as well. Uh, so with that, uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us as always, guys. It was fun, and we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.